Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Do you guys know about Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo! I know, like, I grew up with Scooby-Doo, but I, I'm a, I don't know how much you guys know about Scooby-Doo. I do know that they're still making, like, movies and TV shows and stuff. Um, if, you've, if you're a Scooby-Doo fan, put up your hand. If you're a Scooby-Doo fan. All right, so many of you know, so let's talk a little bit about it. Um, Shaggy was my favorite, uh, the one in the green shirt, if you're unfamiliar. Shaggy was my favorite. Um, I resented Fred and Daphne, obviously, because they were cooler than me. And so Shaggy became my favorite. Shaggy and Scooby, obviously, the, the dog, if you don't know. Um, <clears throat> so they, if you don't know anything about Scooby-Doo, these friends traveled in their hippie van, and they went across the world solving mysteries and uh, putting bad guys in jail uh, by harnessing the power of friendship. Uh, a funny thing happened at the end of every episode. They had the criminal usually tied to a chair by some means, and um, they would take their mask off, and the criminal would say, I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids and their dumb dog. That's right. So because Scooby-Doo was foundational for me, I learned the word meddling, and I don't know if everybody knows that word. (laughs) So this is a roundabout way to get to some vocabulary. Um, If you don't know the word meddle, it means to interfere in, in to interfere in or busy oneself unduly with something that is not one's concern, right? So to mess with somebody's stuff or somebody's life when you're not invited. Uh, it's also a Pink Floyd album, if you're, but that's not where we're going tonight. <laughs> it might make more sense with a real-life example. So this is what meddling looks like. If you have a parent, a very involved parent, that like really wants you to succeed, it comes from a good place, but they're constantly like checking in as you're like preparing for that big project. Did you finish your research yet? Have you bought your supplies yet? Have you practiced your presentation? Anybody have a parent like that? A very involved parent, a couple of you, yes. Um, maybe a friend who loves drama so much that their own drama um, isn't quite enough, so they need to like find out your juicy gossip as well. So who do you have a crush on? Do you want me to find out if they like you? I'm such a good matchmaker. Um, this is meddling. This is, this is what meddling looks like. We all have these people in our lives that would love to insert themselves in our business, and it's usually not a positive thing. Like when you accuse somebody of meddling, it's usually not positive. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about Ruth and Naomi, and Naomi is going to meddle Uh, but it's going to work out. So that's exciting. We're in this series called Ruth, where we're looking at the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And tonight we're looking at chapter three. And we're talking about how Naomi did some meddling in Ruth's life. um, And it actually ends up being a good thing. Her meddling is orchestrated by God to take care of his people because the bottom line for our whole series, I've said it a million times, I'll say it a million more, God takes care of his people. We've seen him do it through all kinds of means, through systems that he set up, through people like Boaz and Ruth and now Naomi. God takes care of his people no matter what it takes. I've been reminding you throughout our series um, that we're reading about events from across the, on the other side of the world thousands of years ago. So they were doing things, there are all kinds of these cultural things that are hard for us to understand, and they seem super weird at first, um, and we have to do some research. So people throughout time, right, all over the world, all over history, have had different cultures and customs, and that's true of the world right now, right? Uh, And we've been dabbling in this, but really tonight we're going to lean really hard into some cultural stuff. Uh, So I wanted to remind you again that different cultures are doing different things. They might not make sense at first, uh, but we just got to spend some time on it. So tonight we're going to start out with a video that's going to lay the the groundwork, kind of set the table for us in our discussion of Ruth chapter 3. In chapter 1, we learn about where Ruth came from. A man named Elimelech marries a woman named Naomi in the town of Bethlehem. 
They have two sons, and they all travel to Moab during a famine. Elimelech dies, and the two sons marry women from Moab. One marries Orpah, the other marries Ruth. Those two men die in Moab, and Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. Orpah returns to her family, but Ruth travels with Naomi back to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, Ruth gleans in the fields of a man named Boaz. He is a righteous man who sees her and gives her additional food and water, telling her to only work in his fields so that she can be safe and well taken care of. Ruth goes home, tells Naomi of what happened, and Naomi agrees that she should stay in those fields because Boaz is actually a close relative of theirs. So Ruth gleans in the fields belonging to Boaz until the end of the harvest. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing whether Ruth should get married again. Naomi points out that Boaz is single and that there is an opportunity for Ruth to talk to him that very night. Naomi says, He'll be working on the threshing floor tonight. Get dressed nice and go to him. Wait until he's done working, has had his meal, and has lied down. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down at his feet, and he will then tell you what to do. Ruth goes to the threshing floor and does as Naomi told her. She waits for Boaz to finish working and having his meal until he is lying down to sleep. Ruth goes over, uncovers his feet, and lies there. Around midnight, Boaz woke up, startled, and asked, Who are you? Ruth answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth was asking Boaz to marry her and rescue her family. Boaz responds, May the Lord bless you for your kindness. You did not go after the young men, rich or poor, but instead chose me. I will do as you ask, for the entire town knows that you are worthy. However, the law says that there is one more person between you and I that should redeem your family. If he does, that is a good thing. If he isn't willing, then I will surely redeem you. So she slept there until morning, but arose before the morning light so that people did not see where she came from. Before she left, Boaz gave six measures of barley for Ruth and her mother-in-law. When Ruth had returned, Naomi asks how it went. Ruth shows the barley and tells her what had happened, and Naomi says, Be patient, my daughter. We will see what happens soon enough, for he will not rest until the matter is settled today. Therefore, Ruth and Naomi wait to see if Boaz will marry Ruth and redeem their family. We've spent several weeks with these ladies now, and uh, we're gradually understanding their relationship, their dynamic, um, and this this interaction gives us a really good picture of what it's like for Ruth and Naomi to live together. What Naomi is like as a mother-in-law when she does some meddling. She says, okay, listen, you've been spending a lot of time in the fields of Boaz. and uh, Isn't he so handsome and nice? Isn't he great? So why don't you take a bath and you know get all dressed up, take care, brush your hair, and go see if Boaz would like to lock this thing down and get married. So Ruth agrees. She's like, we don't, you know, the, the Bible doesn't record every second of every moment, right? So I don't know what Ruth's process of accepting this plan was like, but we kind of read Naomi lay out a plan and we're just like, let's go for it. So this is what happens. She is going to um, approach Boaz and propose to him. So now this is where we're going to run into some customs and, and culture stuff. Um, first of all, we're going to talk about some agricultural stuff. I have a video to help me. Um, these people that you're going to see here in this video are, um, they are, I want to make sure I get my words right. They are working with mustard seed in Nepal. I believe this is Nepal. Not 
I mean, like in this, there's video, there's color video that's happening. So um, they're working with mustard seed and Nepal. So this is how uh, they would work on some of the, the grains, the, the different crops of the time. So Boaz is going to be working with barley in Bethlehem, you know, thousands of years earlier. But I think this video will help me do the job. This is threshing. We're going to talk about threshing and winnowing. This is threshing. So Boaz has all kinds of land, all kinds of crops to process and prepare. At this point in the harvest, they are um, threshing, they're winnowing barley, winnowing and threshing. These are the two words we're going to go through. Threshing and winnowing barley. So winnowing is when you, nope, I mixed it up. I did mix it up. Threshing is where we're starting. Threshing is when you, what they're doing in this video, threshing is when you take the crop and you crush it. You take, you, you take whatever crop you're working with, wheat or barley or mustard seed apparently, and you crush it. And, and when you crush it, it breaks up the crop with the husk and like the seed that you're actually trying to get. There's like the chaff, it's what it's called, and it like grows over the seed that you're trying to get at. And so threshing is breaking this thing apart and you are left with a pile of barley and chaff. So you're left with a, a pile that has what you're looking for, what you're trying to get, which is the barley or the mustard seed or whatever. And the husk, if you've ever like husked corn and you like eat the corn part, but the rest goes in the garbage, that garbage and the helpful stuff is all in the same like situation, which brings us from threshing to winnowing. These people are doing winnowing. And in this part, you throw your crop into the air and the wind, and then sometimes it's in pans like this. Sometimes it's like sifted. Um, and sometimes it's, they use a winnowing fork, basically a pitchfork to throw it up in the air. And you're throwing it in the air and the wind takes away the chaff. The wind takes away the part that you don't le- need and you're left with just the seed that you're looking for, the barley or the wheat or the mustard seed. Does this make sense? I think these people have made it help, help me understand it a lot. Now, I don't know that many people in this room before this moment knew about threshing, threshing or winnowing, um, but it's important that you do because it's all over the Bible, <laughs> right? It was written in an agricultural time. Everybody had farm situations or relied on people that did. And so this imagery is all over the Bible. This agricultural farm stuff is all over the Bible. And anytime you hear about God separating the wheat from the chaff, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about winnowing. So here's an example in Luke 3.17. It says, he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So this is a reference to God's ultimate separation of humanity. Mankind falls into two groups, right? And based on the most important decision you will ever make, whether you have given your life to Jesus or not, that is ultimately the most important thing that you will ever decide. And we will be separated based on that decision. So this is a figurative reference to this literal agricultural practice that was like a thing people did. So we find Boaz, he's literally doing this agricultural thing. Boaz and his workers would make a big deal out of threshing and winnowing. This season would be a big deal. So to prevent people from stealing their crops, they would spend the night on the threshing floor, the place where the threshing happened. So Boaz and his workers would do all their work. They would do some partying and hanging out and get something to eat. And then they would sleep at the office, essentially. They would sleep at the threshing floor. So Naomi prepares Ruth. And she tells her to trespass on the threshing floor. Again, right, they're sleeping there so they don't get robbed. And Naomi's like, sneak in there and sneak into Boaz's tent or wherever he's staying and wait there, uncover his feet, wait there 
until you wake him up. So specifically, she tells this uh, to, to Ruth in Ruth 3. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Lots of words we just learned. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he is finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Uncover his feet and lie down there. Another thing that's like, hmm, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's very weird. Now, experts who understand the culture and the language and everything, they don't fully understand what she said or meant with this. You know, they have some words, but they, they, they struggle to interpret it. Um, but the overall message that Naomi is, you know, given to Ruth is very clear. Get cleaned up, get some perfume on, uh, wear your nicest clothes, go to Boaz in the middle of the night, uncover his feet, which is an important part of it. All of this together would mean proposal. She is, is, it signifies a proposal from Ruth to Boaz. So then we get Ruth 3, 8 through 9. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. So this lady is broken in. She has made my feet cold and then just fallen asleep. <laughs> uh, again, customs we don't understand. But Boaz did understand. As, as confusing as this might read to us, Boaz, a man in the culture, understood this is a proposal for marriage. We're going to come back to this verse here later on. Uh, there's one more customer I want to uh, custom, yeah, customer I want to go up from this uh, this verse here. The family redeemer. One more custom to talk about, and the family redeemer would be at the time someone in your family uh, with a very important role, and it goes in order from like the family tree, right? The, there's a, a lineage decision that the figures out who is your family redeemer. Naomi knows that Boaz, Naomi, right? the mother-in-law, knows that Boaz is on this list for Ruth. She knows that Boaz is on the list of family redeemers because of the, the family that Ruth married into. Here are some things that the family redeemer would do. This is why she's calling on Boaz to do this. They would be the one to protect the family rights of family members. They would be the one to buy back sold property. They might provide an heir for a deceased relative. They could release a family member who had been sold into slavery they could even legally avenge a relative's murder. Yeah, pretty intense. So recognizing this, this custom of the family redeemer and this relationship, this is why Naomi has Ruth proposed to Boaz specifically. He is in this line of family redeemers. And this is where I'd like to talk about Jesus. I hope you notice that I do a lot. If you're really paying attention, when I describe the family redeemer, it reminded you of Jesus. And that's on purpose. The family redeemer is all about redemption, uh, which is something we talk about with Jesus all the time, right? His sacrifice on the cross is what redeems us. It's what brings us closer to him. We see the Hebrew word for redeem 23 times in its various forms, 23 times throughout Ruth, which is a ton. We're, of course, we're supposed to think of Jesus here. God is our redeemer. God takes care of his people, and redemption is doing that. Redemption is not just taking care of someone, but it's taking someone from a place where they're not taken care of and redeeming them to a place where they are. That's what God does. It's taking us on a road to death, on a road of destruction and giving us a second chance, like Ruth did for Naomi, like Boaz did for Ruth, like Jesus did for us on the cross, redeeming us 
into relationship with him. Isaiah 60, 16 says, this is where God does some redeeming. Powerful kings and mighty nations will satisfy your every need as though you were a child nursing at the breast of a queen. You will know at last that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Israel. God is the redeemer. God takes care of his people. He was redeeming his people from the very beginning. The ultimate version of what of God taking care of us, of God redeeming us, is what he did through Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, it talks about this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Both of these, these words, the rede- calling God our redeemer, saying that, that God paid a ransom to save us, this is redemption. It's all over scripture. That's what God does. He takes care of us. He redeems us. It was a sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that redeemed us took us from a place where we were, separation from God, destined for distance from God and destruction and death because of that. And he redeemed us to closeness with him, adoption into his family. He gives us a second chance. He is our family redeemer. He protects us and takes care of us. He ushers us into our inheritance. He welcomes us into his family. He purchased us from the slavery of sin and he avenged us by defeating death in his resurrection, God takes care of his people. Back to Boaz. Boaz is now faced with a decision, right? Ruth has made her proposal. Have I mentioned that Boaz rocks? Do you guys remember that? I talked about it a little bit last week, I think. Um, I've said it once or twice. But we see this in scripture. We're supposed to recognize how good Boaz is. He's good to his workers. He's good to the poor. Over and over again, we see Boaz is a, very, is a stand-up guy. And he should be very particular about choosing a partner, right? Um, As we all should, Boaz sets a very high standard. He is awesome. He he has done great things. He is wealthy. He's good. He's got to have a high standard for who he chooses as a partner. And the thing is, Ruth rocks too. We've seen her devotion to Naomi, right? She's devoted to her family. Her hard work in providing for herself and Naomi, Ruth rocks as well. So this is what Boaz says. After Ruth proposes to him, this is what he says, or what, yeah, how he responds. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Not not weird. That is a, a term of endearment. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor, Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. This is also what's part, what is part of what makes Boaz so awesome is that he doesn't recognize how cool he is. He's like, oh, wow, you picked little old me, but he is the best. So Boaz agrees to marry Ruth because she's awesome too. And when he calls her a virtuous woman, That is a big deal. That is him recognizing how awesome she is. Now, we've mentioned a few times that Ruth um, is written originally in Hebrew, right? We've we've talked about, remember, chesed from last week? Uh, It's a fun new Hebrew word that you understand. Um, And the Hebrew phrase here for a virtuous woman is one that the original Hebrew reader would understand and recognize because they know that phrase from a different place in the scripture that they're reading. They would know it from the book of Proverbs. Now that phrase for virtuous woman shows up three times in the original Hebrew Bible, twice in Proverbs and then once here. So Proverbs 12, four says, a worthy wife 
is a crown for her husband, a virtuous woman, is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer to his bones. And then Proverbs 31, 10 says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. That's right. Ruth is a Proverbs 31 woman. Um, more than anyone else in scripture. Both verses are talking about choosing a partner specifically, a wife, a virtuous woman, a virtuous wife. So Boaz knows exactly what he's saying to Ruth. He knows what he's saying. And the original Hebrew reader would be like, I know that phrase. She must be awesome. And they would be so surprised that she's awesome. We've talked about this before too, right? They would be so surprised that the same words used in their Jewish proverb describing to a Jewish man how to choose his Jewish wife would be used by a Jewish man to describe a Moabite woman? We talked about this, right? Moab was known. She's an outsider. This is your weekly reminder that Ruth is an outsider. And Moab was a place known for debauchery. It was a place that was, it was a bad place where bad people come from. And again, Jewish readers are having their expectations of Ruth subverted and, and not met. This Moabite woman, Ruth, is being described as virtuous, so virtuous and so good that Boaz agrees to marry her. Now, this is a beautiful love story that we'll wrap up next week in Ruth chapter four, but there is one more obstacle. Um, and Boaz is bound by his honor because he rocks. Um, and he knows that there is another family redeemer ahead of him in line. Remember that role is decided by your family tree. And he knows there is a living relative before me in this line. And he says, let me check with that other guy. Um, but if he doesn't want to marry you, if he declines that offer to be the family redeemer, I will absolutely step in. And as if he haven't, hasn't done enough, he sends her home with even more food. These guys rock. As we land the plane for our conversation tonight, I want to come back to a verse I said I would come back to, Ruth 3.9, where Ruth makes her proposal. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. These words... Again, we're talking about words that echo other words. He called her a virtuous woman, and the reader would have been like, oh, Proverbs, I get it. In the same way, Ruth says some words to Boaz that echo his prayer for her in chapter 2. I'm willing to wager that Boaz heard this reference. He heard Ruth saying the words back to him that he had just said to her in the past. So when Boaz first meets Ruth and they're in the field, they talked in the field that day. If you remember from last week, he said in Ruth 2, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And now it might be hard for us to see the similarity. Again, we're looking at English. Um, and the people that interpret the Hebrew original to English are very, very smart people, masters of the language. And they do stuff all the time that doesn't make sense to me, a not master of the language. But ultimately, I trust that they know what they're talking about. But when they interpreted these two sentences into English, they translated one word two different ways. Again, I don't know why they did it. I'm sure they have a great reason. They, they took this one word and they translated it into two different ways. Boaz prayed that Ruth would find refuge under God's wings. And then Ruth asks Boaz to spread his covering, spread his wings 
over him. I highlighted them here in the slide there to help you see. But these are the same words. Ruth is saying back to Boaz the prayer that he prayed over her. She's asking him to be what he prayed for. If you're not seeing it yet, Boaz was the answer to his own prayer. And not because of the ways that he provided food for for Ruth or protection for Ruth. And yes, he was doing that then. But ultimately, he's going to marry her. He's going to take take Ruth into the protection of his family, into his household. He's giving her a new life and a second chance. And this is what I want to leave you with. Prayer is important. Prayer matters. We are taught that there's power in prayer. Prayer changes things. God hears us when we cry out to him, and he intervenes on our behalf. But also, we gather from Scripture that sometimes we are the answer to someone's prayer. Sometimes we are how God takes care of his people. He uses us to do that. Last week, we talked about how true religion is reaching out to the rejected. And, and, his, and God's people take care of people who don't have people. So sometimes the rejected are praying for God to provide for them, to provide money, support, love, protection, whatever. They're asking God to take care of them, and God is sending us to do that. We are the ones that are supposed to step up. God is calling us to meet people's needs. That's what we talked about last week, right? That we're called to reach out to the rejected. But I want you to, I want to highlight this nuance of that, that the things that people are praying for, we are the answer to their prayer. We can do that. God is calling us to do that uh, by maybe giving in an offering uh, for Speed the Light, or for another, you know, partnering with some nonprofit by having something prepared in our car that we hand to someone when we see them less fortunate on the street, by going out of our way to acknowledge someone, to look them in the eyes and give them maybe the only time that that day that they were treated with human dignity, simply by being available for people, for how God wants to use us, listening to him and asking him how he would use us. Sometimes we are the answer to our own prayers, like Boaz was. Sometimes we're praying that somebody's going to step up and that somebody would do something about that thing. And God's saying, I already did something. I made you. (laughs) I gave you a passion for the thing. Now go do the thing that you're praying that somebody would do. God's people don't wait for someone else to step up. God's people act. We take care of people on God's behalf. Just like Ruth did for Naomi. Just like Boaz did for Ruth. And just like Jesus did for us on the cross. It's what we do. We take care of people. We are activated to answer people's prayers, to be the the tool that God uses to take care of his people. So don't miss those opportunities to show people the love of God, to be the tool that God uses to take care of his people. And, And ask God to make it very, very clear to you when he's calling you to be an answer to your own prayer. That's my prayer through this, is God, don't let me miss that. Don't let me pray for something that you are calling me to take care of. Ask God, as he takes care of his people, how would he use you? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you use your people to do your work. And God, I ask that you would continue to help us to learn from the story of Ruth and Boaz and how they exemplify your character and how you're calling us to do that as well. God, we know you take care of your people. And I ask tonight that you would help us understand and recognize when you are calling us to be an answer to our own prayer. Praying for people is important and it's powerful and it changes things and you've called us to pray. And 
Sometimes you've called us to answer our own prayers and to answer other people's prayers. So Father, I just ask that you help us to recognize when that's happening, to be open to your voice and hear when you say, step in and do something. Step in and meet the prayer. Step in and be your vessel, your tool to do what you want to be done. God, you take care of your people and you use us to do it. Thank you that you use us. In your precious name we pray. Everybody pray. said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.